0: This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geeks, show number 400. We made it all the way to 400, recorded on May 2nd, 2019. Here on Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way into. News reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for The Average Tech Guy. I'm your host, Jim Collins, broadcasting live from the TV studios here in a beautiful Bellevue, Nebraska. Mike, these are the weeks. You are so glad you're in Nebraska. The weather's been great. Are you getting outside at all to enjoy it?
1: A hundred percent. Every night, you know, it's usually get home from work. The boys are usually already outside. Go outside, play with the kids, you know, kick the ball around. And now they're starting to get into lacrosse. I'm starting to get the lacrosse sticks in their hands. So it's been perfect weather to get
0: outside. Oh, wow. Nice No, Nice, nice weather here. Of course, we'll post a show with a few show notes this week. I don't know how many we'll have. There's going to be some in there. You might want to check them out. Actually, I have a bunch there. So you want to go check them out uh, at the uh, averageguy.tv. And then you can go slash HGG 400. We'll get you there as well. You can also join us live on our mobile app. Don't forget, easy way to join us on the road, homegadgetgeeks.com. We'll get that Christian hosts that for me as well. And if you want to go out there and download that, either iPhone or Android, download it. It's super easy. want to thank those who subscribe to us on Patreon. Uh, we appreciate you guys doing that. Helps pay the bills for that each and every year. And then, of course, don't forget to join us in our Discord group. Many of you had, I don't know, there's 60 or so out there at this point. TheAverageGuy.tv slash Discord. will get that done. And uh, so, if you want to join us, you can do it. It's open right now. Great conversations going on. We got a bunch of channels open uh, to talk about just about everything. If we do have a conversation that gets a little busy in the general section, Mike will break that out, and uh, we'll get all we'll get a new topic or just move that conversation over to that as well. All right, Mike, we made it all the way to show four hundred. Woohoo! It's been crazy. kind of it's kind of fun. It's weird to think each time we. You know, you start about three seventy five, kind of thinking like, "Hey, we're we're getting kind of close," and uh, and we made it to four hundred. So, we've invited special guests, a couple special ones. Uh, one of them is, uh, or both of them, go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, John Zadler is with us tonight. John, good to see you. Welcome back. Hey Jim,
2: nice to see you. We're all getting older. You're getting a beard. I'm. Uh, I don't know. I know. I on there. I know
0: you got a little going on there, John. We've stayed in touch over the years, and and thanks for saying uh, yes to it. You know, I'm I'm still trying to figure out like, so one, uh, Christian. We'll say we'll say this before we get too far. Christian, welcome to Home Gadget Geeks. We just had you on Cyber Frontiers, but welcome to Home Gadget Geeks. It's awesome to be back on the uh, other side of the channel of the, the network here. <laughs> yeah, um, and and we just did Cyber uh, Frontiers 55 on time. Monday. I, I haven't released yeah. it yet, but. Christian, it's interesting because I think I met you through John Zadler. I think that's the way this worked, right? I think you guys were doing home server show stuff or how'd that work?
3: Yeah, that was uh, through the original release of Magic Wake on LAN for Windows Home Server, which was a year 2011 development special from uh, Christian Johnson's uh, keyboard and lab. Um, And I believe John was probably either one of my first customers or first beta testers of it and uh, got me connected to the uh, home server show community, which is where I then met you and Dave. Yeah. And, and I
2: remember I the, never add-ins, eh, Jim?
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: John, you were the king of add-ins. I,
0: I remember <laughs> the day that you said, you got to meet this kid, Christian Johnson. Like, he's a yeah. whiz kid and he's doing all this programming. You and I were talking, it was a Saturday or something, and you and I were talking about it. And so I called Christian, and Christian, the first time I met you, I was like, wow, this kid is really smart. But I've and I've known a lot of smart kids in my life, and eventually, at some point, they all lose their mind. Like, they go off <laughs> on you, or they go crazy, or they, they lose their mind, or they go off the deep end. That, it seems to happen to all smart kids. And I swear to God, Christian, for the first year, I kind of waited for that moment. He was after. waiting. He
3: was ready. <laughs> it's like, yeah. when is Christian
0: going to lose his mind? And I don't know. We've been doing this. We're coming up on nine years this December. So Home Gadget yeah. Geeks, which Home Tech back in the day, we'll celebrate nine this uh, December. I think it's December fifth. If I go back and look at that date, uh, all not that important, but it is a it is a testimony. I think you know, and of course, uh, a lot of credit's got to go back to Dave McCabe and his. You know, he started Home Server Show the year before that. And a lot of this community comes out of that. But a lot of us, I think in the community, I'm going to rattle off some names here at the end of the show. A lot of us have stayed friends during this whole decade uh, of doing this. And I think it's, you know, John, you and I haven't talked in a couple of years, but it was great tonight when you jumped in here and we could kind of catch up and how's the family and how are things going and what are you doing? We're going to talk about your home server here in just a second, but. You know, it's kind of nice. I think it's a a testament to a great community when it can, you know, still everybody's still friends.
2: Yeah, I remember that first um, podcast that uh, Christian was on, and he's chatting and stuff like that.
3: And I think the rest of us, there were like. <clears throat> That's that that was the advent of uh, Christian's corner because people got tired of trying to interject at some point so they would just let me you know hit the play button on the tape and just let the tape unwind yeah, and when it finished that was the end of Christian's Corner.
1: Well, John, it, try being the co-host that followed him up. This, this whole listenership went from like, oh, Christian and like his corner and his tech. And then they're like, well, this Mike kid is just like dumber than a box of rocks. Like <laughs> He doesn't know any of the tech side. So it was really hard to follow you up, Christian. So, so thanks for that. But it's, it's okay. You, know, you
3: have cooler mechanical tools behind you than I ever will. So, okay, there we go. I mean, at least
1: I can bring something. You're, you're the, bringing uh, some other
3: skills guess. to the table. There we go. I think you brought more practical gadgets,
0: Mike, than anybody did. Um, Although, John, after you kind of dropped off uh, back uh, years ago, you really started getting into some, into some train stuff. And and I had you on at some point to talk about that, but anything new in the train tech space? Because, you know, when we're talking about trains, we're talking about the model trains, the small model trains. Anything new in that space that you've been working on?
2: Well, yeah, one of the things that I've been playing around with is, uh, well, you know, like the, there's a Raspberry Pi community and then there's the Arduino stuff like that. So, And some of these circuit boards where, uh, you know, like one of the things you want to do with the with the model trains is, uh, you know, make it like, you know, operation. Like have some train runs on a time schedule and uh, you'll drop stuff off or, you know, you have a, a, a grade crossing, you know, you want to have some, you know, um, uh, whatever the, uh, the, the gates know. go up and down Some or gates. you want the lights to flash and you want a bell to go, you know, and then you want it under certain conditions If the trains coming from here. When does it turn off? It got, you know, when you just kind of like, Oh yeah. grade crossing is you turn two lights and they flick- flicker. It's like that's like child's, you know, child's play. Right. So the thing is, you want the really more authentic stuff because, you know, we're bigger, you know, older boys, bigger toys, you know, more expensive toys. So it's like I want one that detects when the train is coming into the area or if it slows down, if it backs up. I want to have some car lights go on to show that the cars are stopping also. So, you know, it gets more technical and all of that stuff. So there's sometimes there's some boards that are available that you can buy. Uh, which is great. And sometimes there's st- stuff that uh, just doesn't like exist, like, um, you know, that's available. So then it's like, well, can I design it myself? And, you know, what's great with the uh, like YouTube and the internet and stuff like that is that uh, you can find a lot of these guys in these chat groups and stuff. Like that. Some guys come up with stuff and, and uh, you know, they, uh, they design boards and stuff. And, and you can get the, the, uh, like the files. Cause like there's a company called uh, JLC PCB. They make printed uh, printer circuit boards in China. It's like five bucks. And you like you get like a, this is a sample here. Let's see if that shows up in the camera there. See, like five bucks, and you get ten boards. So you design a board. The guy gives you the file. You know, so it costs you five dollars, maybe fifteen, twenty dollars Canadian to to ship it to Canada. And uh, you know, you get the boards, and then you you know you follow the instructions, and you build them up. So like in this case, see, I have one of these boards here. I got, and this is like our, what they call it, Arduino Nano. So they go. Um, you can get them for like three, four dollars. So they have a CPU on there. So then, you know, you put the right program on it, and then you know, like this board will con- c- you can set it to control block detection, like to know where the train is. You can have it set, turn on uh, on a panel like uh, lights, uh, you know, depending on where where route you, the trains stake and stuff like that. So they're, uh, it's multi. It's also it's it's like a, you know like a PC where you can install different programs on there to do different things. So, uh, so you know, so you mass, you know, you now you get them as mass production. You say I'm going to get ten boards again. Like I said, you know, you can't just buy one board. It's ten dollars, five dollars. You get ten boards, and now now you uh, you 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 populate them the way you want, or or I should say, you put the program that you want, and uh, you know, makes things uh, you know more uh, lifelike uh, on on the layout. So uh, I've been playing around with uh, interfacing the different uh, Arduino boards because there's the Nano, there's uh uno there's uh mega so different ones have different amount of memory different input and output uh ports and stuff so uh so that's what i've been playing around with but um, but now i've been i'm moving uh you know i'll be moving so i kind of had to take my layout apart but uh i'm anxious to uh to get it back go- going and putting some more electronics in there
0: no but. that's super cool you um how long? Or like, so, if somebody wanted to get started in this, like, because you've been doing this for how long? You've been doing this now. How long you've been doing trains? Seems like three or four years.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing, because you know, again, I started when I was, I don't know, my twenties. There, I built my layout. You know, then I kind of took it apart, and it was just like a regular. Back in the day, it was just DC. You know, and then, uh, then uh, I don't know, maybe uh, ten years ago, or yeah, maybe ten years ago, I set it up. Then I slowly started playing around with some of the DCC stuff, which is the what they call digital command control. That's like addressing, and all the locomotives have little decoders in them. So now you can now you can pick and choose which ones you want to run around the layout. So it's a lot more advanced than it was before, and. Uh, but then I, I guess it's, it's only the past year, year or so that I've been like playing around with the Arduino stuff. Because again, those boards, you know how it is, like anything, right? If there's not such a big demand, you want to buy a board that does something. It's like sixty dollars, eighty dollars. It's like eh, I need ten of them, you know, or five of them, so it adds up. But uh, yeah, the Arduino community, more people are getting into it, so it's uh, it makes makes it affordable. So yeah, I've been playing around with that, and again, with, like I said before, it's designing the boards too. Yeah, no, it's kind of
0: fun because you can kind of design them yourself. Do you, so um, if someone wanted to get interested in this, like there, maybe they didn't know all this stuff was going on with, with model trains. What's the best entry point for them? Like what would you recommend they do to kind of get Weer don't listen to this cuz you do everything <laughs> to the end. And the la- I'm going to come over and the whole basement's going to be full of trains.
1: Well, I already got the Thomas the Trains from the boys and I already love those. So don't get me started with anything that I can start uh, to add technology so,
0: to. So just check out for a sec Weger. Okay. On this okay. okay so John, good. where yeah. would where would folks go, or how would you recommend they get started if they are interested? In, well, the best thing this- to do is YouTube. You know, is to go on
2: YouTube and do some kind of search and and see, and then you'll see some of these guys have their own web pages and or uh, their own so their web their own site, and then they have a library of videos. So you know, you 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 pick and choose. You start to find the guys, and then you know, it's like you know, you have different scales. You have a H O N scale, you know, or you might like. Uh, you know, maybe some European stuff, whatever. So, you know, you, you, you check out all the videos and uh, okay. and then find the niche of where it is you like. And so that some of these guys, they, they, they end up having some boards. Like there's one uh, one website that I go to called uh, Local Duino. It's a French site. You know, but then you can use Google, uh, you know, Google yeah. Translate and stuff. So, and then those guys have like a forums and the people are asking their questions and stuff like that. How do you build? So, and, uh, but it tends to be more the European guys tend to be really like into, uh you know, the quality stuff, you know, like a bit of a high-end, like, a, you know, the equipment that they buy, the locomotives, like the German locomotives, is like, you know, it's like a fascinating, you know, the, the quality they put into it. And then also the electronics, you know, some guys are are higher up, so you'll find those guys out there. But uh what's nice about the U.S. guys is like the U.S. guys, the big thing with the U.S. is it's all HO, which is the the, the big standard. and the European, is tends to be a little bit N-scale because they have smaller homes. The US, U.S. It's like everything is done big in the U.S., right? It's like uh, the guys got all their big giant basements, and these guys are running trains, and they got their hats on, and there's ten people in the basement, you know, doing stuff. It's like it's like going to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy super, stuff. No, it's that's yeah, su-
0: super great. Yeah. You guys trade boards and stuff. So, like, if you if you ordered, you say you order ten, right? You got to get you got to get ten of these boards. Is that a situation if you get them local that you you can? You can feed those to other people locally, or just hold on to
2: them? Well, sometimes it's, uh, yeah, I I tend to hold on to them because, like, I'm playing around with some panels, you know, I made some panels here, like this, and then, you know, sometimes I mess it up, you know, so I end up making, you know, I'm making another one, you know, so then (laughs) after a while, you know, you need your 10 boards, you know, and the whole story with the shipping and stuff, it's, uh, you know, it gets maybe expensive, but I don't know, some guys just like they have a couple of boards, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, I'm following this one guy on YouTube, they're IoTT. So he, him is like internet of you know you have IoT which is internet right. of things so he's right exactly. and but him yeah. is, is internet of toy trains and he's a he's an American guy but uh, I'm not sure nationality he speaks with an accent but uh, and he has his files available and uh, for download he has like like uh, one of the things that uh, Arduino does is they have a what they call GitHub. You know, it's a repository of where you can go and get all these different projects, you know, related to, you know, model trains or anything, you know, all these electronics. So uh, this guy posts over there and sometimes he he buys some boards and it's like, okay, you know, I have a couple of extra boards and you know, I'll have a raffle or I'll, you know, I'll send it to you for, you know, whatever, two bucks, you know, PayPal me two bucks and and you'll put it in the mail. But uh, the thing is with, the, again, JLC PCB, where you order the PCBs, if it's your first order, I think the, the shipping is free. $20 shipping or, or uh, well, they give you a $20 credit. So if it that covers your shipping, then you're great. And $5 for the board. So sometimes you say, you know what? I'll just get 10 boards from that guy and it costs me five bucks. So it becomes yeah. like a non-issue. If you have to pay a lot of money, then it's like, how do I, you know, you know, I I had to buy like back in the day, it's like you bought 10 boards, or you, you know, you have to buy a minimum amount of boards. Next thing you know, you're out a couple of hundred dollars. You know, then you say, okay, how can I divvy that up between other guys and stuff? But now it where it comes down to uh, you know ten bucks five ten bucks for boards it's like okay here's the files and and you know you order them yourself and uh, none of this uh, you know uh, customs stuff that you if you're going across the states I guess then you got it pretty easy it's uh, postage is no big deal but uh, sometimes in Canada. Opioid crisis or whatever. Sometimes we get stuff that's delivered. My buddy calls me. He says I ordered some some trains from Pfeiffer Hobby in the states. There he says, and it says it was in Canada, uh, April first, and it's like the twentieth of April. It's, it's been it's in Canada since you know for twenty days now. It's like when am I going to get it? So sometimes uh, I guess we got the, a little bit of the problems there with the, I guess think you know customs and stuff. So yeah. anyway, sometimes it's better just to order from China and and uh, you know just get, get it direct. To there
0: yeah. you go. Well, it's always been cool, John. I've You've made a few videos and I've kind of watched those with your trains. And it's, that's, that's, my dad was a big model train guy and we had those out in the garage and, you know, he had a board that went up, you know, on a hinge and it went up and you could put it away and stuff. And I never got into it. My brother's got all his train gear when he passed away, but, but it, I've always, uh, I've always enjoyed looking at it. So thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that. While we have the four of us here, and we're all kind of home server guys in a lot of ways. We all kind of came together originally through the home server show community and then began Home Tech, which started back in 2010. It's funny, uh, we've all raced to build these really large home servers, or what we thought was large, I think in the day, maybe two, three. John, I uh, asked you in pre-show how big your home server is now, and you were like, eh, I got four terabytes and, right, four? Is I that, got no. four
2: two-terabyte
0: drives. Four so two-terabyte terabyte. drives, so eight total. Uh, Christian, let me ask you at this point, point. Um, and, and the reason I'm asking this is because it seems like the need for bigger service as as we've progressed has actually decreased, not increased. Like we were racing to the top, and then it's like with the advent of Netflix and movies being, you know, streaming stuff. So, Christian, what are you, like, how much, how much storage do you keep there at the uh, – the the johnson studios
3: um there's lots of storage at the johnson studios lots and lots of storage um i'm trying to think back to what the original hard drives were we had in our very first uh windows media smart i think they were like it was a 750 gigabyte os drive back then it was either 500 or 750 back then and then having the one terabyte spinners was a big deal back then um And of course, you know, it wasn't just storage for me about the home server and the whole original media smart attraction. It was also the CPU and memory. So the original uh, toaster had a Celeron single core CPU in it and one gig of RAM. And the original home server OS was server 2003 was the kernel, underlying kernel. So you put all these things together and then people would want to run things like Twonky Media Server to stream television. It's like, good luck doing that on a single core Celeron, like all the more power to you. Um, It wasn't enhanced at all by the fact that the Twonky code base and the encoding was just not that great, not that optimized. And then on top of it, you kind of have these... Uh, clunky hardware components. And at the end of that evolution within those same boxes. So we went on a, a toaster purchasing binge at some point where people were like, Oh, I got to dump and get rid of the the terrible Celeron," And they were going up on eBay for a time. Like it was like handing out candy. Um, so we rebuilt five or six of those and put in quad cores into each one of them. Um, and those involved, uh, updated microcode to the BIOS to support the latest, uh, I think they were Q series Xeon quad cores, um, and the max RAM you could put in each one, I think was, it's either four or eight, pretty sure it's four gigs, but uh, that, that main board is so small in a toaster. You can only have one RAM stick. So we just put in the one four gig RAM stick. Um, and then, you know, in the current evolution, um, Running three terabyte spinners in those toaster size boxes, which is kind of a nice trade off if you're using storage pools in that environment um, today. Um, but mm, total aggregate capacity at the uh, Maple Grove farm there's there's quite a lot of it. Um, well, what do
0: you have locally? Do you have how much do you have locally? Because I know I don't, you got quite a bit. Of it back in Buffalo, but yeah, what
3: I are you team, doing locally? I, I don't keep all that much local um, because I'm so in- interconnected over the networks. Yeah. Um, I have a two terabyte uh, SSD is the operating system drive on my main workstation. And then a two terabyte spinner to do some backup. And I have a lot of other like one or two terabyte things sitting around, but I don't keep a lot of local like NAS server storage here because I just don't need it. Um, how,
0: how are you connected? Cause you connect back to the, yeah, to the so, Buffalo so, environment.
3: So I have a layer two uh, tunnel, which basically um, ensures that I can get backups to uh, what is now server essentials, but what used to be windows home server. Um, I can get back up an image just as if um, these computers were sitting at an environment. So it's, once you have the converged network thing kind of working out well, um, you don't need to replicate as much of the infrastructure locally. So, you know, you're mostly keeping backups. You're not ripping,
0: you're not ripping movies at this point. You're not storing music, right? Nope. Maybe some photos.
3: Nope. Uh, yeah. We got, got a decent amount of photos. Uh. Music is mostly uh, Apple Music subscription and Spotify Music subscription. In fact, if you're a Verizon um, wireless customer, um, Apple Music is now free for you if you're on the unlimited plan, uh, which is really fantastic. Um, So really the days of uh, running your own Subsonic server have really just gotten bitten by pay 10 bucks a month, have an unlimited library, um, that way you're not you know burning the cost on a new CD that comes out every week to augment your library you're paying the subscription instead um, and then as far as uh, movies and videos I mean really the advent of Netflix and other mainstreaming services um, we're still we still do have all of the uh, licenses and gear to record over Windows Media Center which is obviously a dying art form with uh, the death of it in Windows 10 and also um, Just in general, the concept of using a cable card to do your DRM cable has not fallen by the wayside, but I think it's definitely quieted from what the hype of it was several years ago. Uh, But we still do all that. So in terms of like, I want to record a TV session and not have a service provider pay for my box, but I, you know, I want to have my own box and my own amount of storage. Yeah. Um, from that perspective, we probably still store quite a few terabytes of recorded TV. Okay.
0: So you're still doing that, John, what do you, what do you keep in for the most part? I mean, it can't be, well, you're in Canada, so it's a completely different world, right? I mean, you guys have it, everything's more expensive, everything's more restrictive, but what do you, what are you keeping these days?
2: uh that's a t- yeah tv shows and well a lot of uh videos are for, like home videos and stuff like that you know that's like you know backed up and whatever and a couple of pi backup uh, about three pcs three four pcs not much and uh so yeah i have a you know I'm using it, and uh, but I had set up also a SharePoint server that I haven't got much traction since, like my parents passed away, you know. But before I had the SharePoint set up, so you know, it was it was almost like a Facebook thing, you know, where you commented, you know, you're making a party or whatever, who's coming over, this and that, sending emails. So that was it was nice to use the 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 server in that way. But uh, yeah, it's like we we're saying before is uh, you don't need so much uh, content there. Uh, available you know because yeah. everything is, is is available online and stuff so and you know and like sh- like uh, christian is saying you know you if you're getting your own cds and stuff you know you're you're, you're you got to rip and this and that. whereas now it's like it's available and depending on your uh, even like the videos right it's like before you rip something and it's like oh i you know i ripped the dvd and it's 480 or whatever and then now there's a hd or there's a 4k version and now you're trying to update your library and everything it's like it's like oh. forget it just you know just uh get a subscription and you'll have the latest quality and and even the soundtrack and, uh, you know, better soundtrack too.
0: Yeah, you yeah. do. Mike, um, last night I wanted to watch Infinity War. I was kind of getting ready to – this weekend we're getting ready to see Endgame. And I turned on – I had either Netflix or YouTube TV as options to, to stream that really easy uh, and included in it. Though, Mike, you're doing a lot of Plex. Uh, you were mentioning before the show, you, you actually – share that with family yeah. uh, as well. Um, but are, it, I imagine that's taking quite a bit as is is folks are recording things for themselves yes. to watch yep. off your Plex environment. Yeah. Is that requiring a lot more storage for
1: you? It is. Yeah. So I currently have in the, so I run everything on one Unraid box. So that runs all of my dockers for everything I need. It oh, sounds so, like my coward. So that Unraid box <laughs> has, uh, it's only got 18 terabytes of space. So, I mean, a decent amount, but not a crazy amount of space. I'll probably need to add a few more here as we continue to go. Oh, hold on. Hold on one second.
0: You said 18 terabytes, right? Yeah. Christian, John in the day, you know, 10 years ago when we first started this, if we would have said only 18 terabytes, that would have been a, right? That would have been a pretty yeah. big, gigantic. Yeah. So anyway. So sure. Yeah. The
1: going. movies, the movie files, and especially, you know, what is really big is because like you said, I record I we still do over the air recordings. We use a Silicon dust, uh, home run HD. The limitation I'm running into is actually I only have two tuners there. So I'm getting a lot of requests from people to record shows that are at the same time. So I may need to add another one because although that's a dying art, um, it's actually still for me one of the easiest ways to just grab those. Plex does a great job of queuing up the recording. Um, I have no you know issues with legality in that sense when it's recorded over the air. So um, that's been my biggest issue is, is those recordings. And those recordings over the air, I actually I should probably set up some transcoding when they come down, but I haven't. Uh, those are very large files. Those TS files are, are extremely large. Um, I used to have them... Plex used to re- remove the commercials, and now it actually do the transcoding at the same time. So it would transcode and remove the commercials. But Plex, for me, it's still not perfect enough. It's still cutting out certain portions of the show that are actually part of the show. So I turned that off. So now I'm just getting the raw uncut recording from over the air. Uh, so yeah, so that that's taken up a lot of space, but then also, I mean, you know, I mean, that's a, so Plex is a large portion of that 18 terabytes. It's, it's a, it's a big amount, but also I run next cloud on there. So we don't use any cloud, Service for document storage, anything like that. So, Nextcloud stores both my wife and I's documents. We also use Nextcloud for backing up our phones' photos. So, all of our photo library is backed up via Nextcloud. So, the Nextcloud takes up a large portion as well because over the years, uh, and with the iPhone, it's actually really easy because it pulls those in from iCloud. So, everything we've ever taken on any fi- iPhone we've ever had, uh, same as Google Photos if you're on the Android environment, but for iCloud, it works great to. To store those, and then also, you know, I said I wasn't going to do it, but I did add, you know, my brother-in-law to Nextcloud because you know he didn't want to pay for a service, and and so I said, hey, I have this, but you know, here's the disclaimer: <laughs> it backs up once a week, so if something were to go catastrophically wrong here, I might only have a backup as of last Saturday uh, for what you need. So you know, yeah, eighteen terabytes is, I think that's that's probably way more than most people need if you are. How full cool is it? Uh, we are, I have about six and a half terabytes free. Okay.
2: All right. That's what size are on. your
1: drives? Uh, there's a, there's a mixture in there. So with Unraid, the three about drives, they're all different. So I have three, two terabyte drives and three, four terabyte drives, and then another four terabyte as the parity drive for Unraid. Mm-hmm. So, And what's the sweet spot now for hard drives like the terabytes? I think four terabytes. Uh, For me, four terabytes has been a pretty good sweet spot for the consumer, uh, for yeah. the home user. I think that's been pretty good. Christian, I don't know what you're finding as you're buying new drives for, for your environment. four terabytes still a decent price point?
3: Honestly, six is becoming the new four pretty oh, quickly. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, it varies from time to time. but are you yeah. guys buying new? Or are yeah, you yeah. buying yeah, ref- buy refurbs or? I don't trust refurbished drives in general. Um,
1: Same here. If it's going to my Unraid box, I'm not going to trust refurbished.
0: So what are you paying for six? What what, what kind of price point, Christian, are you paying for six at this point? Do you know?
3: So most of it would be um, Gary's probably all,
0: taking care of most of that. But
3: yeah, well, all the, all the latest newegg stuff. So if you look at like the Seagate series or the Iron Wolf series, um, your three, te- your four terabytes right now are going for a hundred bucks, yeah. and your six terabytes are going for two ten. So um, the four terabyte really only has the price point by ten bucks um, right now, and so to have. Um, or I'm sorry, I did that math a little bit wrong. If it was a three terabyte drive and you multiplied two, it would be a difference of 10 bucks or so. Uh, but you also have to take into consideration what your overall density goals are for that particular box, right? Because some folks are not big fans of having asymmetric drive pool configurations. So they want either I, either all four or all six. So I would kind of agree with Mike though. Four still seems to be really the sweet spot. If you think about where we were um, just a year ago, three terabytes were at that ninety-nine dollar uh, mark uh, point right now. But I, four, uh, I'm sorry, six terabytes seem well on track to be that that next data. I, it'll point flip in a year, flip. year and a half. Because yeah, how much did you
1: say the point. six terabyte
3: was? The, the six terabytes two ten right now, and okay. the four terabyte. Is, they're cheaper.
0: You can find them cheaper. The the six will be on sale for one fifty from time yeah. to time. I think.
3: Well, um, the the speeds matter too, right? So like if you're getting one of the cheaper four terabyte drives, they run at 5,400 RPM, but um, there's plenty that go for 7,200 as well.
1: And is that new for Western Digital? So I I hadn't noticed this trend. Usually when you grabbed a Western Digital Red, at least from what I remember, the Reds were going to be 7,200 RPM drives. Now they distinguish between a Red and a Red Pro uh the if you just google or if you go to amazon and get a WD red it's going to be at 5400 um so those right now a 4 terabyte red drive is $119 for but that's only 5400 whereas they now have the WD pro which is 170 for 4 terabytes has that always been the case for Western Digital and I just wasn't paying attention to speed i don't think so but i haven't been following it all that closely to answer definitively either I hadn't either. That's I just just noticed that when you put in red on Amazon, you've got the two options now. And I had never noticed that second option.
3: Right. Yeah. And I mean, the class of the drive is really important, right? So Seagate makes a desktop drive that is an 8 terabyte retail desktop drive for $200, right? So... Um, that is exactly two times the amount of what you're paying for the four terabyte at hundred bucks. You can now get the eight terabyte for 200 bucks. Question really becomes again, like, what is the performance you need out of it? And what overall density do you want? Um, if I was looking for something that's like, I don't need really fast storage, but I want lots of space. I'd probably go up to the eights and future-proof myself a little bit. Um, whereas if I think I'm going to have different speed requirements or I'm going to be having more frequent drive failures or whatever, I might buy the fours and then swap out over time.
1: And that's the interesting part about Unraid as well, is that the way Unraid works, since it's not a true raid, I mean, a lot of those drives are spun down most of the time because each file is stored wholly on one drive. So especially if you're a home user and let's eat, let's say you even share your Plex library. Like for me, I do share my Plex library with, with family and, you know, even when they're watching it, it's loading that file from one disk or two disks. Then maybe I go to upload to cloud or access it, it fires up another disk. But I'm trying to find that, you know, you may be able to get away with a desktop quality drive in an Unraid box if you're kind of a light user, because mm-hmm. it's almost using it like a desktop. Actually, it may use it less than a desktop. Uh, Christian, do you agree with that? Not agree with that if it's not being spun up all the time in a non-traditional raid environment? Um, in what respect, I guess? So, I mean, for 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 the, for the money, okay, yeah. so if I'm running Unraid and these discs are going, they're down most of the time, they're up mm-hmm. because it doesn't need to read them all. If I'm going for a, could I you know, maybe save some money and go desktop quality and maybe get the same lifespan, maybe not the same lifespan, but still yeah. get a decent lifespan out of those, maybe the four, five, six, seven years that I was seeing before, and maybe I don't need to spend the money on a Red for if you're running an environment. Sure, like oh that. yeah,
3: I mean, definitely. Uh, for the most part most of your home server based folks are going to be just fine with commodity drives. Okay. Um, unless you have a specific, um, streaming use case or you're doing frequent writes to it. Um, usually most home folks are write once or twice and read a lot. Um, exceptions to that might be just kind of a continual recording TV or things like that, but you only need so much IO to do those things. Um, the other thing is thinking about the form factor in which you present the drives, right? Like today, it's it's probably still sexy to do an unraid and dr- drop some drives in the as of some kind upon your network. But when I can pay 200 bucks to throw in an 8-terabyte drive into my desktop, um, if I buy two 8-terabyte drives and put them in RAID 1, then I don't have to run a separate server. I have plenty of local storage. I have the fault redundancy where I can lose a drive. Um, so there's a lot more configurations for folks who want to price it at different points that don't necessarily involve going to straight to, I'm going to run a NAS in my home
1: environment. And that's something, you know, I never really thought of. You bring up a good point as far well as now when we get these drives that are so large at such a, you know, affordable price for the home user, you're totally right. Eight terabytes is probably more than most people have, even in their two bay traditional, like, yep. you know, QNAP or Synology. And you're right. Put those in in your case and rate them in one, and you save, you know, 300 bucks on the Synology itself. Yep. And, and if you think about
3: what the hot setup was three, four years ago, everyone was rocking like four, two terabyte drives in some kind of RAID configuration. And it was exactly. a network device, right? And so that's the same amount of storage is what it takes to just pop two, eight terabytes locally into a machine and run with it.
0: Yeah. Doing uh doing what I've been doing for burst for the burst mining here on the crypto side, and we want to talk about it from a crypto perspective. So don't turn don't turn it off. You're like, oh crap, Collison's talking about crypto. No, no, no. We've I've been buying the refurb's. So I've been buying the four terabyte and three terabyte refurb's off of eBay. A Couple companies out there that I've been using, and I'm throwing these things in docks and running them. I mean, in burst mining, they are running all the time. These drives are hot all the time. I mean. I really probably should say I have some kind of cooling over them. They're open air right now at this point, so they're probably cooling just fine. But they're on all the time. And I have had very, very few failures with them. So I know, Christian, in, in the environment you're running, you're not necessarily going to trust those. Um, but I think right. for the average consumer, if you were looking to blow out some storage, I was picking up 4 terabytes for 60 bucks. So that's kind of a nice, and I got I got the 3s down to 40 at one point. Uh, they've come back up to 50 but... It was a really nice way to blow out some extra storage and not go, you know, and not have to get really pricey. John, are you, Canada's always a little bit more expensive, or do you feel that as well? Or are you getting some of the same prices we're getting here?
2: No, I haven't shopped for a drive in a a (laughs) a while. (laughs) I did (laughs) want to ask, you said you, what, what did you say? Your drives are in open air?
0: Yeah, they're in a dock. They're in a four bay dock that's open air. So they just sit, you know,
2: just sitting like that.
0: Yeah. yeah, just sitting sitting open air, plugged in, sitting open air, they're hot as <laughs> they are. And they the run thing warm. Is, I kind of
2: wonder I'm, you know, what I'm thinking in my head. There is like you know, let's say you have a couple of hard drives and you're like, okay, I I got them connected in a whatever a box, a chassis, or something like that, mm. but uh, like they're just exposed. You know, they're, they're not like in a case or whatever. You know, you're thinking the ambient temperature is going to cool it off, but in reality, is uh, you you need a box that has a. Uh, whatever, what do they call that? Uh, uh, air, The air pressure that is, is pushing negative, in. The system, negative air pressure. And
0: negative air pressure
2: to, get, to cool those drives off, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and that's really the question. Mike, you are going to say something?
1: No. I, well, oh. the, the one thing I was going to say, moving away from cooling, was the yeah. one environment that I do think uh, Christian touched on a little bit is read writes what you're doing and what drives are suited for that. I have noticed, I have gone through drives extremely, extremely fast when it comes to a like home network NVR. VR. So I have like nine cameras writing to this disc all the time uh wd and all the other brands make them it's called the w for wd it's their purple drive they are meant for heavy write and very little read so when you think of that drive that is recording from my cameras 24 7 i'm very rarely going back and actually accessing it and watching it and so for drives on the wear and tear i actually was putting desktop quality drives in there uh, before and i did have two of them wear out and i have i mean this unraid box has drives in it that are I mean, close to ten years old, if not. I mean, probably, probably nine years is probably the oldest drive. But there are some that are really old and they are fine. And I've gone through desktop drives really fast in, in an MVR, whereas I switched to a Purple and it's been rock solid and hasn't hadn't had any
0: issues. Well, well good, good to know. I guess you're the the application matters, right? Right. Yeah, it's it, at it, IO. For- it's the read the write. For the, for the burst stuff we've been doing, it's constantly reading those drives. I mean, it's con- they never get a chance to spin down. They are just constantly running. Right. And yet I've had some pretty good luck with those. Christian, do you think, do I run any risk of having those drives? They're open air. I mean, they're basically being cooled by am- ambient temperature. I don't have a fan on them. Is that any better or any worse, uh, in your opinion, than having a fan on them?
3: Um, it depends how much airflow is in the room and what the... The room temperature is uh, it's pretty general- cool down here. It's a basement, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. So generally yeah. I wouldn't have any major concerns there. It's yeah. typically the tighter spaces where you really want to make sure you have consistent uh, fans either yeah. pulling air through or um, pushing air out. But um, Scoonover
0: are- is uh, telling me to get some to get, to get a fan on him. That's what he's saying. You know, I don't know. They've been running this way for a year and not all of them, but but many of them out there have been yeah. running that hot for a while. Which makes me wonder how hot they are in the box, you know? Because you never, you never know. Yeah,
1: because those are not shucked, right? Those are in still that Seagate black case. No, 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 no. These are
0: these no. These are the internal drives that I've got in a four bay external. Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Christian, you were going to say
3: something. Yeah, you'd be surprised though. Like if you put a smart temperature on it, because almost all these drives have the smart HDD diagnostics. Um, A lot of them won't creep up out of normal temperatures unless you're doing like long term. Read writes for like a conserie a uh, conserious a contiguous block of time.
0: Yeah, it's that's a good idea. I did install the Seagate the C tools. Yep. Uh, we cool. were having you know I've got all those Seagate eight terabyte external drives that I've been running for for burst and so I had a couple of those go bad. Um, not ironically, they're I think they're designed to go bad. But um, so I use the C tools, which I hadn't used in a long time. And you're right, maybe I should. Fire that up and run it against those drives, and just check for their operating temperatures compared to those to what are normal, and just kind of see see what's going on. So, I think I think the consensus here is we're probably still in a four terabyte world for most people. I think even brand new, most expensive four terabytes it seems is about the ninety nine dollar price range. I mean, I, I kind of feel like it like one terabyte uh, SSDs that's the sweet spot right now. I think if people were buying. John, do you think if you were if you were buying again, would you just replace those with two four terabyte drives for two hundred bucks and be done with it?
2: I don't know. I like the idea of uh, having it like spread out over drives and stuff, okay. you know, as opposed to having. Uh, it's like back in the day, you know, yeah, I don't know, you had two one terabyte drives. It's like all right, you know, how much information is on there? You have them in array, but now you have two eight terabyte drives. It's like. I put a lot of, it took me a lot of time to get all that stuff on there. It's like, even there, even though you're just two drives and you have the same potential of, uh, of it failing and stuff like that, it's like, yeah, but it's holding more content. Yeah. So I don't want to have all my content so much in one place. I, like again maybe with the sweet spot like you say or whatever or, or maybe a fancy whatever however you set up a raid it's like okay uh um, you know i'll back it up and then maybe i'll have a another drive and everything will be on that drive and i'll just unplug that drive and you'll know, put it on the shelf you know not even run it just have it as a backup and stuff but then also have my drives that, that are taking care of all my uh my my daily stuff you know whatever stuff is up to speed but I know that's that's the thing that's uh, you kind of you know wonder uh, the scary point is you know how much information you know everything is crushed so much into those drive like how big are the platters now on these drives? They must be they must be two terabyte platters because they you know the, your maximum you have a, your, is your hard drive you know you can't get you can't get your bigger hard you know right. bigger, thicker hard drives they're all the same whatever it is inch and a quarter or something you know it's like so now they just have to fit more capacity in the on the platter. So, so and, uh,
0: on the upper end, right? We're seeing ten terabytes now. Uh, Ken has been uh, Ken and I have been talking about this, and we, um, you know, we've been seeing this price point of about one fifty for the eight terabyte externals, right? Which WD that was started with Seagate, and then WD got there. Which you can shuck that you wouldn't want to shuck the Seagate ones, but you can shuck the WD ones. Eight hundred and fifty. We're starting to see those ten terabytes now. Those ten terabyte Western Digital and Seagates pop in at that price. 169 maybe 149 if you're lucky so i think we're seeing that shift that'll put downward pressure on the rest of the way uh, on those uh the rest I of wonder
2: the way. If, uh, what do you think about as far as like the warranties you know like some of them it's like they, they give you two years some they give you three years you know i, I would kind of think well if the guy's giving me a three-year warranty on this drive it's a better drive you know so uh sometimes you know think of that you know in in, in your calculation you know and yeah. and uh I, I think my brother had a couple of drives there that uh died on him and, you know, it, they did an exchange and it was very convenient, you know. So as long as you have drives that you, you're able to back up your stuff, your drive died, okay, I send it in and uh, whatever, they, they send you a box, you put it in the box, you send it back, it costs you nothing, you know. Sometimes they, they put a charge on your credit card if, you know, if you're going to like, if they're going to send you the drive, but, you, you know, if you want to drive first, you know, from them as opposed to, you know, waiting for, for them to receive your drive, but otherwise, it's uh, you know, if, if these guys are so easy to replace the drives, then uh, it's like sometimes you're like, all right, give me a 10, th- 10 terabyte drive, you know. It's like uh, as long as I have a backup, I'm I'm, I'm okay, you know.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, okay, but if people, so as we're on this topic, this was interesting because I don't know if you guys watched in the news the past few weeks or if you guys are Dropbox users, but Dropbox announced and they actually in, uh, started enforcing it actually that you can only have three devices connected to a free Dropbox plan. So you you get three devices. So everyone, tons of people have free Dropbox plans where they have, you know, back in the day you had all the offers to get more space. And so they maybe had, you know, a couple, a couple terabytes maybe of, of free space on Dropbox, but Dropbox said, Hey, you only get three devices now. So We had an influx of people who were like, okay, now I'm looking to switch. I'm looking to go to a different provider. If we're not going local, what cloud providers are you guys suggesting to people? Or are you saying pay for Dropbox instead of going with the free plan? Where are you guys suggesting people who don't want to buy the hard drives? Because I had someone ask me, and I was like, "Okay, I have my thoughts, but maybe I should throw this out to my my more techy uh, friends and see what we'll see what well, they may think. not be a good
0: audience for that." But I know well Christian that's Marie. what I was
1: wondering because that's yeah. they asked me. and I'm like, uh, "I build a home, you know? Do you want to build a yeah. home server? <laughs> What's your budget here? I know you were on a free Dropbox plan, but how do you feel about dropping a few bones on you know a, a home server? I
0: don't know. I I think before you guys answer, I mean, at least at this point, I'm a OneDrive guy, on Microsoft, and that's kind of the for most and I people think they're that's buying been the most Office. common answer, yeah. Right, I don't know. Christian, what do you think? And then John will come to you.
3: Yeah, I'm the worst person to ask this. I know, um, we're a bad
0: audience for this. I know.
3: But um, <laughs> essentially, I'm kind of of the opinion that at that point in the game, your best bet is to go for what your environment is. So if your compute environment is predominantly Apple, then I would go with iCloud. Um, and if your compute environment's predominantly Windows, then I would go with OneDrive. Um, okay. Dropbox is is fine as well. It really just depends on When you have someone that's looking to use that kind of um, storage medium, typically they're looking for ease of use. They don't really care about anything else. And they all offer pretty comparable price points at this point. So there's not much to differentiate in that respect. So it's really going to be what works best for their ecosystem. John? John?
2: Well, well, again, I have the local storage, you know, eight terabytes is enough for me. And uh, my really important stuff. I got it like you on on the OneDrive. And uh, maybe I got it. Maybe the really, really important stuff. I got it a couple of uh, flash drives, you know, USB keys. And
1: uh, and that seems to be working for me. I did see this as a business opportunity. I was like, well, there's this thing called NextCloud. Here's the URL. It does cost five bucks a month. Here's the PayPal address you send it to. You know, (laughs) make use of that man. Once you start supporting, totally, it's why I didn't. You know, and I I would never. I am not Christian, right? Like I don't have the know with all to keep these, uh, you know, people's, you know, data secure and everything like that, right? Like I can do the basics. I can get them SSL connections to it and everything like that. But, uh, but no, because it was it was an interesting question, nonetheless. And I think Jim. I think you. Uh, we're probably the most popular answer. Everyone I have heard has been suggesting OneDrive, but I think Christian brings up a good point too. Whereas if you're in the Apple ecosystem, why not look at iCloud? iCloud's a great option too. And actually it works really well. I've started to kind of play around with it a little bit more and the prices are very comparable. I think you get two terabytes for $10 a month. I want to say nine ninety nine is the two terabyte plan with... Uh, Apple iCloud so not bad I don't know I don't know the price point on OneDrive I've actually never used OneDrive Except for in business we do use it at work But I don't use it personally So 100
0: bucks a year gets you Office 365 and a terabyte That's basically the that That's okay. basically the price point You can get it as cheap as 69 if you're Looking around for it and you get a deal Whatever buy a PC some You, of those
1: you have to have 365 then if you just wanted To if I'm an Apple user I don't use Their suite of products uh, I use I don't know I don't, know. I don't
0: I think maybe you can. But it makes sense if you're using Office already. Right. It just makes sense to include it in with the Office package. Jim, I think that's how most people. Go Jim,
2: ahead, Jim, I think I might have fell through the cracks there because uh, <laughs> Office, three, you say Office 365. Uh, when I was an MVP there, right? Uh-huh, Microsoft uh-huh. there, they gave us a, a, an Office 365. I'm talking like maybe seven years ago. I keep getting emails that is being renewed. It's being renewed. I, I Look, seven years later, I'm get I got Office 365. I think yeah. it's like the professional one or whatever. And uh, like you say, one terabyte of storage.
0: Yeah. yeah Thank well, you, Mike. We won't. We won't <laughs> tell anybody. I never. There are there. <laughs> I should check. I, I should check my MVP account. I haven't done that since I since I let it drop. I think I have because I never attached my MVP storage to my own personal storage. Just for that reason. I knew it was going to last forever, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to get too dependent on it. I think I've earned seventy gig or something like that, a seventy-five gig on OneDrive, and it's good enough for what I'm doing. I've been paying for photos to be on the Google uh, in the Google Drive because of all the fancy stuff they're doing with photos. So I pay a whopping dollar ninety-nine a month. I had to just pay that thing for a year and be done with it, or whatever. Maybe you can't. I don't know. Um, but that seems to make again. That works for me. I don't mind paying two bucks a month to have my photos up there. What does the two ninety nine get
1: you? Because uh, I, get some- I, I don't pay for anything. I just do the free Google Photos. I mean, I think is the yeah, main difference. I needed you more space, full resolution, because it's unlimited think, for free.
0: Yeah, I think, but they compress it down a little bit, and I, I don't else. care about
1: this. okay video.
0: Maybe I needed. I wanted to put some video out there as well. I think that was really it. We had some video that I wanted to, and I just wanted I wanted to take advantage of that space, and I. I got I filled it up with whatever I did and I was like okay it's a buck 99 I'm just going to get I'm just going to take advantage of it and take right. it so Jimmy you make me a-
2: think of uh- uh, like Dropbox. there. I don't think I've, I haven't used, well, I don't think I use it in the past year, but, so what's funny is once in a while I get, you know, that's it, you put your, uh, your uh, some of your pictures or whatever, family, you know, because family pictures and videos and stuff, you know, it's precious, right? So it's like, okay, I'm going to put that online somewhere, and you know, you find a Google Drive here, or you find a Dropbox there. Next thing you know, it's like a year goes by, and it's like they send you an email, and they say, hey, you haven't been using your subscription, you know, we might cut you off, and stuff like that, and you should log in. You log in in, like, ah, look at that <laughs> there's Pictures from whatever. It's like, well, I haven't seen that for whatever. So sometimes yeah. it's like, like opening a little time capsule. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. look at that! I didn't know I had that. So kind of like fun. a
0: kind of like a found treasure. You know, you get that's out there. Oh, that's right. But that's one of those kinds of things too. When you need it, I've had I've left little notes for myself all over the place of like, okay, this stuff is here and this stuff is there, and you know, I put this over here just because you know, in six months or a year, you can be like, okay, where did I put? Like, where did I store those tax documents from five years ago? Um, it's like the
2: it's guy, Where are my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, it has been one of those things, John, where, um, especially with, like, legal documents and taxes and where I've really worked hard to keep those in one spot, whether I've kept them on drive, or I've kept them locally or I've kept them wherever, So that I wasn't spreading those all over the place, you know, and I, I literally now have 15 or 20 years worth of scanned documents, the ones that I need, and I scan way less than I used to. I used to scan everything, like the utility bills, the, you know, the all, everything I scan. Now I only scan really the important, because in most of those things you can go back to, and most, you don't ever need, you really don't need those kinds of things. But, um, Yeah. So I've tried to keep, I've tried to keep all those documents together. Christian, Mike, you guys, right, being at your age, you can't even imagine. I think the two of you are probably just used to everything being stored for you. Like you wouldn't think for the most, there's a few documents, maybe like a mortgage, Mike, or maybe like some of those kinds of things. But Christian, are you keeping, like, you don't keep your bills, right? You you pretty much just trust they're going to, if you need to dispute them, you can go to the site and get them
3: uh it depends there's some stuff i'll still have hard copy printouts for um just because that's the type a disposition that i'm <laughs> blessed with like, um, i don't even
0: keep bank statements like i just like yeah. I can get
3: them if i need them i can go to my bank and
0: get them if i need them
3: no it's more like notices about changes in accounts or um like certifications of of not necessarily purchases but um, you know, there's plenty of stuff in life where it's like, we'd like to prove your residency. Okay, well, let me go pull the folder that has these four documents that I can just photocopy and give you, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. that kind of stuff that I usually leave copies lying around. Um, but yeah, most of the stuff that is coming in the mail or is coming in email or is coming online in form of documents, they're auto-generated by a machine. Um, They have somewhat of a limited life shelf to you. Um, And especially for like bills, like for your cable bill, it's like, okay, did the auto pay clear? Awesome. Then I don't care. Have a nice day. Um, But the only time I will ever actually go back and reference those is this. Well, wait a second. Why is my bill suddenly, you know, 60 bucks a month more than what it was three months ago. Um,
0: Yeah. And, but I find I can go back to those companies and get those bills most of the time mike what do you, you you keep anything you scan anything in or i take do, photos yeah.
1: of it? uh the next cloud app is actually perfect you just go in there it's kind of like the one drive lens i think right it used to be or whatever office it was lens. Yeah, office, office lens, lens. Yeah. yeah i scan most stuff in there put it if i really need to but you're right bank statements all of those i don't keep any bills i don't scan bills i'm scanning documents kind of like christian right like um Ownership papers. I do that especially for like guns um, or permits for guns or hunting things like that. I'm always scanning those in because it's the one time I don't that I'm out hunting or I'm doing something and a you know a ranger pulls up and they want the documentation and I better have it. Uh, things like that that could get me into a lot of trouble if I don't have proper documentation. I'm keeping.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Jim, you're well. making me think
2: of uh, like you said bank statements and stuff like that. Uh, I've been using uh, Quicken you know, uh, home and office there, like for years. And, you know, what's nice there is, uh, you know, if you're trying to now, somebody says, oh, you want to do your tax and you're going to get your phone bills or lists, especially if you have like a business you're running from home or whatever, you know, it's like, okay, you get your statement and, you know, you're doing it manually. Like, on uh, what, what, what am I doing? You know, how much did I spend for this? How much did I spend for that? But when you're importing it with, uh, you know, I guess, paperless, right? You go to the bank and you say, download all my transactions, put it in Quicken, and in Quicken there, you can, like, set up some rules that you say, okay, this is from this company, from, like, in my case, Hydro Quebec, that's electricity for the home. You know, so then, like, you, you give it a tag, and then next thing you know, at the end of the year whatever, it's like it says electricity for the home, this is how much you have, this is how much you spent. You get your pie graph, this is how much you spent on food, this is how much you spent on licenses, and this and that. So, you know, now it's, it's aggregating all that stuff, and it's giving it to me in a way. As you know, if I had the paper statements or whatever, or even downloaded the transactions from the bank, it's like I, now I still have to sift through that stuff and and, and uh, you know organize it. Whereas yeah. you know at least in putting it into Quicken, the statements are all there, so you know now I have an offline copy, and uh, and you know if I need to make some some uh, calculations like, okay, look, I think my internet bill is starting to go up. You know, like you'll get that information. You'll see that, oh, you're starting to spend more on your hobbies instead of uh, on food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the important hey, metrics.
0: The AI will kick in. Hey, you might want to spend a little more on food these days. You're <laughs> you're, you're now <laughs> spending more on your hobbies than you are on food. A couple, couple things in chat. Uh, SP, Stargate Pioneer said, He keeps paper and hard copies because he was audited by the IRS once and needed to provide seven years of residency proof. Yeah, well, that's that's a good reason to get it back um, or or to hold on to it. I think I have everything from 2003 to 2013. I kept everything. And then I kind of went through a phase. I'm like, I'm not going to keep it anymore. (laughs) Like, I think everything, I can go back and get everything I need for the most part online. Uh, If I needed to get it or I could go back and get and not everything. I'll be honest, not everything, Mike.
1: Well, the one thing I've gone through recently is especially when you're a recent graduate, you kind of go through a lot of internships and maybe a first job and a second job within a few years. And going back and getting your tax, uh, like your W-2s and things like that from a former employer. It's really easy when you still work there, sign into the HR portal and get it. Once you're out and they've cut you off, yeah. uh, really hard to go out. You can still get it. I mean, you could definitely call up the company and still get it. But uh, those sort of documents are, are also good to keep around. I mean, yeah. if, if you're still working there, you can always go back. But once you change jobs, uh, so even actually, my routine was because I was going through this with internships was right before I leave, log into HR portal and really just download all of my key documents.
0: Yeah. We, we, and I keep it all tax documents. That's the, that, that goes without saying. So get those scanned in. I can, I can do that at work. Take it in, put them in all the same format, scan that in, scans them to a PDF, throw it on the server, back it up. Uh, good to go. But as far as utilities go, and I barely keep loan documents. I barely keep bank statements for the most part. I can go back and get them within a year or two. What that doesn't do is to SP's point, like, I couldn't go back seven years. I would have to, I would have to do some fancy footwork if I had to go back seven years and get some of those things. So I'm hoping the IRS doesn't honor me. By the way, welcome, everybody. I'm seeing some faces I haven't seen in a while out in the chat room. So, uh, Drashna, good to have you back. And (laughs) SP, thanks for, (laughs) thanks for coming. He must have seen a picture of you, Zadler, on the, on, on the Twitter, right? And he was like, what? Johnny Z, back on on uh, Home Gadget Geeks. Yep. I got to come over here. So uh, so good stuff. Any other thoughts, Mike? Anything? I'm going to transition real quick, and I've got two security things related for Christian. But go anything else, it. Mike? Okay. So uh, recently, two articles came out. One is uh, one I've got. I'll have these in the show notes if you want to go out there. So Slack, our friends at Slack, are getting ready to go public, and they warned investors of a high risk cyber attack uh, impending. Now I know that's kind of standard. Is there because that's any any company that is going public has to disclose. They disclose a 2015 breach, and um, and I I didn't know this, but Slack has no point-to-point encryption at all. It uh, all all transactions done on Slack are open. Did you guys know that? No, you guys know that Slack is completely open. Well, in the sense that you're there's no like there's no. from what I understand, and this is what I was listening to this. Wait, this is going to <laughs> <laughs> uh, from what I understand, there's no point to point encryption on Slack when you're there, it, though it's HTTPS. I was going to say, crypt- but
1: there's SSL, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. But there's no, no point you know, to point encryption. Uh, Christian, uh, what is, what does yeah. that mean?
3: Do you know? So they encrypt at rest, right? So, if you get into their data plane in any way, all the information is encrypted. It's encrypted in transit over SSL and they're compliant with like 10 different certifications. So they have their FedRAMP, they have their NIST 800, they do their SOC two and SOC three audits and their HIPAA. So I'm not quite sure what they mean by point to point encryption, not being offered at this point. Um, Especially because their enterprise features include having like a uh, enterprise key management system for uh, Slack enterprise customers, uh, which allows you to build your own keys to access your data in Slack. So so that Slack itself as a provider doesn't even own the key you own and manage your encryption key. Mm-hmm. So I'm not quite cool. sure okay. where, where this yeah. connect is. If we open I, I was, this
1: question up broader though, so it, when in general in the industry, when they say like end to end encryption, I wonder what they're referring to because, for example, I'll use my example of Nextcloud. Nextcloud has certain add ons that you can that are labeled end to end encryption. Well, my Nextcloud is encrypted at rest, as you say, because my drives in my own RAID are encrypted and then it's transmitted over SSL because I have the Let's Encrypt uh, reverse proxy set up here on the same servers when it's sent over. So what exactly do they mean, or is it kind of a a gray term when they say end-to-end encryption? Is it kind of one of those buzzwords? Typically, it means that
3: you're getting end-to-end from from customer to service with no um, uh, insecure data, specifically um, from the time the request is initiated in the control plane um on the client to the time that it is received on the server side and processed back whether you're coming or going that whole that whole link is encrypted and end to end means that the both destinate both the source and the destination Store the data encrypted at rest. So both your cell phone as a device or whatever your client is is storing it encrypted at rest when it completes a transaction, and when uh, transactions being instantiated on the server side, that's also being stored in the database at rest. Um, so, so that is a pretty well defined term. Typically, people normally don't muddle with what it means to be end to end.
1: Interesting. So if you are transmitting over SSL. And if obviously my iPhone is encrypted at rest and my next cloud instance on my server is encrypted, mm-hmm. meets the definitions of end to end.
3: Correct. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. So maybe I had old information on that. And that's okay. It's good. We, we went through that. Uh, that's good exercise in that um, as well. One of the things what's really, really interesting that Slack disclosed is that their fear of nation state hacker groups, um, which is just kind of interesting. Like they're saying, hey, worst case scenario. We're open for some of the worst cyber attacks from nation states, which basically means, right? These are well-funded hackers, right? When we think there are governments trying to break into this stuff to get this stuff done, um, to get it. Done. Christian, it just was interesting to me. It, this is—it seemed to me like a move on Slack to say, "Hey, look, we're going public. Anything can happen to us." Like they were disclosing everything that they, they did have a breach at one point uh back in 2015 just like probably everybody did they disclosed that again but just kind of came up with this hey we're really afraid our biggest attack vector could be these nation-state hacker groups do you think everybody has that problem I mean this isn't that big of a deal from a disclosure standpoint
3: is it Well, I think attribution in general is always a problem. I think this is a rational concern that any business going public has. And and moreover, I think it's very smart that they're fully disclosing their cyber portfolio and going public. That's a very smart thing. A lot of the companies that have big reputational problems threw it under the rug, and then it came out after the fact, and then they get dinged left and right. So by kind of coming up front now with, hey, here's the whole picture, here's our whole set of concerns, and here's the whole history, investors now feel like they're not being um, kind of bamboozled, um, and that should bode well for them maintaining the trust and reputation of the organization.
1: And and that's true. and I think that's what a lot of the... Um, advisors would say as well. When I was at KPMG, worked with the IPO readiness team, and you know a lot of that dealt with the financial side, with being SOX compliant and stuff like that. But when you start to look at you know NIST and all those other audits, your SOC audits and things like that, uh, I think the the idea nowadays is get that stuff out there. Like Christian said, get it out there early so that this there's no surprises and everyone sees this is a very transparent company. Um, if they're checking all the boxes, even if there's any hint of this could be scary for an investor get it out there i think that's a definite trend uh, a re- very recent trend because as christian said in the past uh, we've seen what's happened to companies who have tried to hide that and then post ipo this is much better pre-ipo than post ipo uh, when you think of when this news could break or when someone could come out with an article saying hey by the way you know did you know that this auditor found this in an audit when they were you know." When the, before they were public, which didn't need to be released to the public. And did you know that it ex- exists? Well, now it does. Uh, much better pre than post.
0: Oh, maybe one more announcement we'll talk about on Cyber Frontiers next time we get together, Christian. But Docker is warning of a data breach that impacts some 190,000 users of its nice. Docker Hub repository for container images. Nice. Um the breach was first reported by Docker late on April 26th in an email. Mike, I brought this up because I know you're using <laughs> you're using Docker. Oh, a, ton, yeah. a lot of stuff that you're doing. Um Christian, when we think about Docker, which has gotten very very popular, by the way, they're saying this really the data that got out affects less than 5% of their users. But new, newer technology gotten real popular now disclosing
3: 190,000. What do you think? Um, not all that surprising, especially with the containers themselves. It continues to be the the general world first first off, was the breach specifically the container registry itself or was it a vulnerability in the container system? So it
0: says the according to Docker, the data breach involved unauthorized access to a single docker hub database that was only storing a subset of non-financial user data. At this time, it's not clear how the breach happened or how long the attackers had unauthorized access. Okay. Username, password, some of those things, I think, is what, what, what got Okay. What got so
3: out. that sounds more just like Docker's actual enterprise infrastructure, not necessarily the container technology itself. Um, there is certainly been a lot of vulnerability disclosures related to containers themselves, particularly because the whole point of a container is to have a more or less an isolated sandbox that shares a kernel space without having to uh, do anything special. And so um, there's a lot of advantages of that when you want to deploy an application rather than having to build a separate VM or a VM fleet every time you want to have containerization. Now you can share the same kernel, share the same physical hardware and get those proper resource isolations. Problem with that becomes it is one level closer to uh, jailbreak than what jailbreaking a VM is, right? When you want to jailbreak a VM, you have to bypass the hypervisor somehow to get on the physical hardware. When you want to jailbreak a container, you're looking more about how to break the operating system's understanding of what that environment is so that you can get to the host or the parent operating system, but you're sharing the same physical kernel um, and you're sharing the same operating system, which is really key. Um, so containers have had a bigger bar, I would say to getting to that same level of enterprise readiness that virtualization is today. They're close. There's a bunch of containers used in enterprise. Don't get me wrong, but in terms of maturity of the technology, it is just not quite there yet. Um, we talked about this three or four episodes back on cyber frontiers about one of the recent, Um, container vulnerabilities that uh, was a zero day and uh, found by a team of researchers doing a capture the flag event. And they essentially took advantage of the slash proc file system, which is what every Linux file system uses to basically um, give you a nice, clever way of walking through all the open file descriptors and memory maps and other things in the operating system um but it's not really POSIX compliant 100% so they were able to take advantage of some pointer logic anyway if you're interested in that kind of stuff go check out that episode uh the point the point is though it sounds like this was a what i call a vanilla data breach meaning like this was this could have been a target or any kind of other vendor that was using a database storing passwords etc um, so I don't see anything specific related to the container technology in this instance. but
0: yeah, they, they do say in the release Docker Hub contains many different types of application images and is used widely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Docker emphasizes in its FAQ that an incident had no official application, Mike, you'll be glad for this, <laughs> no official application images were compromised. Official images are those developed by Docker and its partners to benefit from additional uh, authenticity and scrutiny. We have additional security measures in place for our official images, including GPG signatures on Git commits, as well as notary signing to ensure the integrity of each image. And then the breach is particularly relevant for developers, more so than just regular users of Docker uh Docker Hub. So when we think about developers who are signing in, I think those are the for the developers. They also say um for Docker Hub users, there's no action required to preserve your security. Docker stated a password reset link has been sent to any users who potentially had their password hash exposed. And I imagine it's not password in the clear, but their hash which would have to be worked. You change the password, you're fine. Is all that is that is that make sense then Christian? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Christian, in the Docker world on top of this, do we do we start to see that we have trusted repositories and non-trusted repositories? Do we start to find that the repository is important when we're looking at uh, implementing some of these Dockers?
3: Absolutely, because if you can't trust the image that's creating your container, then it's um, you can't build a trusted foundation of computing. So um, you want to go through a good length of research to understand whose registry you're using what the company is behind that's building that container, what unique software applications may exist on that container that you're not aware of. Um, and if you're using a public image, you want to use some form of validation checklist to make sure that um, you're getting the container you think you are, both from just like an integrity standpoint of like, hey, when I downloaded this container image, is the, does the checksum match what the upstream says it's supposed to be? Um, right. But then moreover, um, getting some additional validations from the vendor that produces that container image as to how they built it and what validation steps you can take to ensure that there's nothing in there that you don't want to be in there. But super important. Um, it would be like saying, I'm going to download a variant of Windows 10 that was forked off by a non-Microsoft developer that wrote their own little stuff in it, which would be illegal under the Microsoft licenses to begin with, yeah. but just in general, or or better yet, Um, I created my own new Linux distro, use Linux. It's awesome. Um, and you know, I have no idea what the source code modifications are to that kernel or to that branch of the operating system. So,
1: yeah, but I I just think it's more important too, because I think a lot of more average guy users are getting into Docker and they're pulling Mm -hmm. these containers from who knows where, you know, even if you, for example, even if you're on Unraid and you're using community applications to, you know, browse for different containers, you start to, I mean, they're, they're from anywhere, right? And mm-hmm, you can add mm-hmm. certain repositories. And I think people just think, "Oh, hey, that's what I'm looking for." Um, I mean, there's like five different plexes you can choose from, right? Yep. Who's to know? Trust your repositories. Look into it. Do your research, and like use a checksums, all that stuff that you can do. Because um, it, it's becoming more average guy. I think Docker is no longer a a tech guy sort of thing. It's a lot of people are getting into Docker.
0: Yeah, kind of like that lights out app. Like, who would trust that thing? Where did that <laughs> come from? And how did we get, how do we get a hold of that? Uh, overall, Docker recommends the, that impacted users. One, change their Docker Hub account password. I think that goes without saying. Review GitHub activity. I think that goes without saying. Uh, unlink and then relink GitHub access, uh, just to make sure you're clearing that out. So if you're in that, if you're in that space, there's probably not many who listen to this. But I think it's a good reminder just of those, uh, of being, Mike, I brought this up because I know you're in this space a yeah. lot. And it's just kind of a good reminder. Be careful. Like, you you brought you brought up the right point. Be careful where you're getting uh, those things from. Fun, fun discussion um, as well. As we wrap up the 400 show, guys, I had some stats that I pulled. And I saved this to the end just because I didn't want to bore people in the beginning. But there's a lot of folks who participated in what we've done here on Home Gadget Geeks, which was home tech uh, before that, over the years. Some of this is a mixture of both Home gadget geeks, cyber frontiers, home tech tips, which I did for a while, which was kind of interesting. Uh, I did some home tech interviews where we it was just the interview kind of thing, and we've experimented with the with a bunch of different stuff. But when we think about the average Guy.TV, hosted by our the fabulous Maple Grove Partners. Speaking of Buffalo, hosted by the very fast Maple Grove Partners. A uh, couple stats: one is lifetime Christians. So what we started building, you and I, by the way, started building this on November. 10th, 2010. I yeah. remember those days. You helped me build that very first website. Yep. We got some things built out. Had that crazy picture of a uh, it was crazy.
3: It was really crazy. Who came up with that idea? <laughs> I think that guilty. was you. Yeah, it was so weird. I think I got that from you.
0: Uh, five hundred and sixty-seven thousand six hundred and seventy downloads uh, of just the audio that we've put on Maple Grove servers. Through the RSS feed, so half a million um, downloads, a little over half a million downloads that we pulled from that. That doesn't account for um, all the other sites that I'll talk about here in a second. We launched the site November tenth, twenty ten. Christian and I, John and Brian, and and um, Andrew Morris. Was that five of us that were doing that? Did we kick that off with five? I think we did. They were fast um, we kick, we kicked that off December 5th, 2010. Since then, the site, uh, again, Christian Host, 440,000 page views, si- 326,000 of those uh, unique. The most popular post so far of all time, install the previous version of Windows Live Essentials on Windows XP. I wrote that in an afternoon one day because I kept getting people asking questions. And I was like, hey, okay, I use Windows Live Essentials in those days. Remember, we were using that to write blog posts it had some security stuff in it it had what else did it had what else did it have live essentials it didn't have an email thing in it and some john did you ever use live essentials was that yeah i used that? it yeah uh,
2: yeah yeah i used live essentials that it had the uh, it didn't have a li- writer live writer had live it in writer it.
0: in it yeah i still use live writer today yeah, i've uh, pulled that thing uh, out yeah
2: was in there
0: movie maker was in there yep yeah yeah all those yeah. so, so <laughs> no, no you're doing pretty well um uh, so that has de- that has been the number one viewed uh post that we've done out there the youtube channel has 12 thousand i uh, wish 1200 subscribers now hundred and eleven thousand views lifetime. Most popular, uh, John Greenaway, by the way, did this one. Eco B3 Smart Thermostat Amazon Echo Home Kit and Simply Safe. Shouldn't have said that. Uh Simply Safe security. That was back in June of 2015. Mike, I think you were on that with me. 9,300 views to that, uh, to that video. That's Why the episode in- that
1: got me interested in Simply Safe. Yeah. And then they yeah, came out think- their next gen uh last year. And uh yeah. No, that was, that was yeah. a great episode.
0: Yeah, it was. John John did a nice job. I think he came in from the office. Link to that will be in the show notes if you want to go back um, and do it. I mentioned all the other places that the the podcast can be found that I was going to say that. Podomatic, Spreaker, SoundCloud, MixCloud, ShoutEngine, AudioMac, Podcast.com, Anchor, and now Archive.org. Actually, every episode back to 100 because I don't know if Mabel Grove Partners will be around forever, but hey. Archive.org will be. Well, yeah, well, you well, know what, true. You,
3: you, I someday. might host archive.org someday. You never know.
0: <laughs> I was just going to say that someday that will be on Maple Grove partners. Um, but I think you can go back to episode hundred. I, I don't think I started until I started pushing that over there to hundred, but figure, leave them out there. They can, um, they can maybe be found in the future long after I have gone. The network has supported, been supported by Patreon subscribers, $2,300 worth of support since July of, 2016. So thank you for supporting the show and for doing that financially. We've had guests. I mentioned Andrew Morris, who was an original host on this, Dave McCabe, Jay Moore, John Zadler, who, who came on originally and stayed through maybe, I don't know, one, 200, John. Uh, Do you think you stayed that, that long or 150? I can't remember when you bowed. I remember that day you called me. You were like, Hey, I think I'm kind of (laughs) done. I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. It was a sad day. Rennie Phipps was on here. Mike Howard, of course, Mark Robson. Mike and Mark have partnered uh, with us uh, together. I'm kind of mentioning the guys that have been on here at least twice or more. Rich O'Neill, which we did yeah. We did um, the Rich's Random podcast for a while. That was fun Saturday afternoons. Christian, did you ever make it on a Rich's Random podcast? I
3: think one or two. Yeah. I think so? Yeah,
0: that's another, I forgot about that. That's another average guy production that was out there for a long time. Kevin Schoonover, Nathaniel Lindley, Gordon Schmidt, um, uh, Bill Pullman, Seth White, John Stutzman, Greg Welch, Paul uh, Braron Kyle Wilcox, John Greenway. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, Brian Friedlander, who's out there in the chat right now. Rich Hay, Chris Barnes, Dwayne Robinson, who's been on a bunch of times. I think he's been on seven times or so. Edward Winninger. Joel Rushworth, a fellow MVP that I met out at a conference. Aaron Lawrence, who has come on and been a a guest host and done a great job with us. John Larson, John Biggs, they have all joined us. And I'm sure I've missed somebody. It's hard to do names like that. But I think a pretty cool list of names in the community of folks who have joined us uh, across um, 400.
3: I I think we've had Gary for at least two.
0: That's right. No, I never I uh, Gary was on. I never wrote him on my list, but he was uh, he was on a bunch. Uh I think we have
3: cl- probably close to a dozen shows if we yeah. went back and counted.
0: Yeah, no, no. Uh super good. So uh some notable companies that have come on. And uh, we've had ring.com, last past, social bro, which became audience uh later on kangaroo the guys at kangaroo came on that was a good time yeah Yeah, that was a good one Shelfie came on that was the the um oh i mentioned their name earlier and i forgot it doesn't matter anana box came on they came on drunk but they came on (laughs) remember that mike (laughs) that was
1: fantastic yes yeah
0: yeah they thought they they thought this was going to be a party podcast and that you had to be drunk to come on and we were then we got serious and I remember their engineer going, oh, like this is gonna be a serious. <laughs> <curiosity."
1: laughs> They're asking
0: me real questions. You
1: know it's happened to the best of us, not naming names. No, not naming I know. I you know.
0: I know. Uh, reset plug, uh, Loria Petrucci came on. Yeah. She had Callie Lewis, she came on and was part of it. Moro Data, Ghost Browser, Unraid, and then Hubitat, which was just on a couple weeks ago. A pretty cool list, guys. Uh, Christian John, thanks for getting me started. In this. You guys were a big part. Christian, you've been a big part of the platform, I think, from day one, getting this Maple Grove Partners up and running. I think sometimes you invented Maple Grove Partners just so you could host. Uh, much it.
3: it was just for Jim Collison. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. it very much came out of a need of, uh, you know, at the time, shared web hosting providers were the big way that new time podcasters would try and get on the web and man shared web hosting was slow. The servers weren't well-maintained. They were overcrowded. They weren't ready to handle the age of media. Um, PHP was riddled with holes in it. It just was really nasty. And it got to a point where it was like, you know what? I need more control than a shared hosting provider. And then we did uh, believe it or not. I think when we started hosting the average guy, I don't think it lasted on shared hosting for very long, but no. I do think it started there. You're right. You're right. And, You're right. And before, and then several years after, it was on virtual private servers, and we hosted it on VPSs, and eventually we outgrew that and said, "Ah, this is ah, it's only four gigs of RAM on this VPS. Uh, what balderdash!" And then, you know, before we knew it, Maple Grove platform was ready to roll, and once we had the the static subnet, it was like, "Yep, we're doing this." And yeah, best uh, decision ever.
0: It's kind of grown from there. Thanks for, for growing that for us. John, thanks for you and I go back to the early days of Home Server Show. You've been a great friend. You're known by my kids at uh, your voice. They know they hear your voice and they're like, that's John Zadler. And uh, and John, thanks for hanging around the community. Good to have you back on. We should probably have you back on a little more frequently than every hundred. So maybe we what was can.
2: A time, Jim. Uh, back, uh, back in the day, guys, when the, when, uh, when podcasts were just audio, remember? Show. Yeah. We just video. And then we hey, video. remember what?
0: UStream? We couldn't see each other, and it was UStream, and we would just log in together. We would talk, and then that day that they created Hangouts, right? Um, I think it's, and we went, we we started using video, or we're using video on UStream before Ustream,
2: that. Well, well, we, I remember we were recording on Skype, right? Yeah. And oh yeah. yeah. Then the. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. it was
0: good old times. No, it was, no, you know what? We could record the video on Ustream, but we couldn't broadcast it. And what Google Hangouts brought was the ability to broadcast it. And, uh, and we got broadcasting here pretty quick. Because I have some old videos where I've recorded it on Ustream. In fact, Christian Gary's on a bunch of those videos. That was the Gary era when I had him on here. And um, we had um, a bunch of those recorded on Ustream. And so it's the Skype, it's the Skype Windows screen captured with Ustream.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, those go back. That's 60. I think that's Home Tech 60, 61, somewhere in that area, if you want to go back. And
1: it's crazy watch. how expensive those used to be, too. Do you remember how much like Ustream subscriptions used to cost? Like, being able yeah. to live stream at like a high def rate. And the fact that you know Hangouts has always been here, just like the free thing. Yeah. I, and we really haven't seen a, a Hangouts competitor. I mean, we did see, uh, what was the one we tried out for a little while, Jim? Blab. Um, Lab, yeah, yeah, so we've seen some come and go, but I don't think even some of the video conferencing like Zoom and things like that, they haven't got into the space of having uh, a broadcast yeah. feature for um, and recording that's easy. Yeah.
0: Um, Mike, I'll say thanks to you. You've hung around for the last uh, four years of this years now, yeah. together and uh, tons of fun to you know, I always look forward to Thursday nights. I um, do too. It's pretty yeah. great to to jump in here and, uh, and and to be able to do it and kind of watch the community grow, we've kind of watched Christian grow up uh, through the time as well, which has been kind of fun. Christian, you were fifteen when we started.
3: To. I know. If you want to, if you want a time box of what adolescence looks like, man, go on uh, YouTube because there it is. Your voice is just a little bit higher in those old. Not not yeah. too bad. Just a little bit yeah. higher, but it's Jim,
1: I had never owned an Apple device before. You know, I, or sorry, I had never owned anything but an Apple device oh, when I started. I That's why you brought me on was to be the Apple voice of reason. I think it kind of flipped on you because you totally. ended up getting me into Windows and home servers and tech and like you know a server rack full of Linux and Windows and everything like that.
0: No, you did flip. I couldn't believe it. I remember the show, and you started talking about them. Like, hey, wait a minute! I brought you on yeah. <laughs> specifically to talk about Apple stuff. And, well, you should uh, have put me
1: in this community. This community has been awesome. Oh, they te- they no, keep teaching no. me things, and the Discord has been even you know has made that even better. I've implemented like ten new things since we started that Discord server because of oh. uh, listeners who have had great ideas.
0: No, it's super great. Well, and let's say thanks to the listener, you out there listening to this one. If you are still listening after this point, you're the most engaged listeners we have because we've been going an hour and a half or so. Uh, I think about where we started with the website and then, of course, I moved on to Facebook and then moved on. We've been moving into Discord. It really goes way back to home server show forums or reset forums now in the community that's out there. And you guys just won't go away. It's just the craziest thing. We keep doing these things and we show up on Thursdays and I don't know, there's probably 10 or 15 guys uh, out there right now, uh, and I appreciate you guys doing this every single week. I keep thinking, guys, at some point, I'm like, okay, at some point, this is going to end. But that end is not today. <laughs> like, I, I keep showing up on Thursday nights, and Mike, you keep showing up. We have shows, we have great shows like this. John, you know, Christian, great to have you back on. But it's, it's one of those things where you just, I, I kind of think, like, how long does this last? And, you know, what, what do we do? We're coming up on, on, you know, nine this year, it'll be 10 next. How long can we do this thing? I guess as long as there's tech around and uh, as long as you guys keep listening. So as long we as my agree- kids
1: keep going to bed at seven o'clock and at night,
0: <laughs> Dude, that's not going to last forever. You know. know, I'm going to lose you at some point, Mike, you at know, some point, family's,
1: yeah. family's
0: going to take over sports uh, will
1: start to happen on Thursday nights and they kids at yeah. that age where they have
0: activities. And I, and I can't get Christian on here on a regular basis. Shoot, we can't even. We can barely get a Cyber Frontiers done every ninety days yeah. <laughs> or something like that. So Zadler, you better you better saddle up, man. You might you might have to come back. <laughs> I'll try to find point. some interesting content for you, Jim. When the kids when the kids are too busy raising families, us old guys. I think you said that like eight times in the pre-show. You know, us old guys. Maybe we'll uh, we'll have to do it. So we are live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern. If this is the first time you listened, uh, yeah, the shows are kind of like mostly like this. Uh, and, and we just get together and spend some time talking about it. We are live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, out theaverageguy.tv slash live. We don't plan on going anywhere. We'll do 400 more in the process, I think, as long as, as I can, uh, as long as I got health and people keep coming out. And we keep getting downloads. Oh, why not? Why wouldn't we do it? And I uh, want to say thanks for listening. Congratulations to everybody in the community as well. It's a, it's a testimony to you guys as well that we make it to 400. Thanks for all your support on Patreon and in the groups and all the nice things you say and all the great emails that you send. I appreciate it. You can always contact me if you want to do that. Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. Great way to, uh, to track me down. If you want to track me down on Twitter, at Jake Allison, Mike is uh, at tech um over there we we always love to hear from you of course we'll thank and we'll say this one more time maple grove partners get secure reliable high Christian get secure reliable high-speed hosting from people that you know and you trust if you want to get plans as little as 10 bucks a month and wordpress and podcasting optimized maplegrovepartners.com we'll get it done know, for you we uh, want to say thanks for coming out. We got through 400. We'll stay around for a little bit of post-show. And uh, no crypto this week. We won't do the crypto post-show. Not a lot has gone on in that anyways. But uh, with that, we'll say goodbye, everybody. Good night.
2: Bye-bye.